Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the field of psychology and mental health, with host Gabe Howard and co-host Vincent M. Wales. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Central Show podcast. My name is Gabe Howard, and with me, as always, is Vincent M. Wales. And also on the show this week is Dr. Benjamin Miller from Wellbeing Trust. Now, for many of you, you, you don't know what Wellbeing Trust is, which is fair because we didn't know about it until we ran into Dr. Miller and he started telling us really cool things about the way that health insurance is structured and how this impacts people living with mental illness. And well, he just sort of blew our minds with some great information. So Dr. Miller, welcome to the show. Thanks guys. Great to be here. Oh, thank you so much. So first tell us what Wellbeing Trust is. Absolutely. We are a new national foundation really committed to changing the mental, social, and spiritual health of the nation. We're a bit unruly you know, breaking some rules, trying to figure out what we want to do to change ultimately healthcare and the health of our communities. Well, that sounds cool. I like breaking yeah. rules. <laughs> you say that you're new. How long has that been and where are you located? Yeah, so we are we are about 13 months old right now and literally just 13 months old. So we've been around uh, a little over a year. We're located, our home office is in Oakland, California, but we have this national virtual team. So someone like me, yeah, I'm the policy wonk, and I get to oversee some of our strategy. I live in Denver, Colorado, and so we go back and forth between the coasts, making sure that the voice around mental health can be heard everywhere. In your description, you talk about interested in changing healthcare for everybody, but then you also talked about particularly mental health. Would you say that you're a mental health organization or just a general healthcare organization that understands that mental health falls under that umbrella? That's a beautiful point and a beautiful question. So one of the failings that I think we've had in our society is artificially separating out mental health from everything else. So that fragmentation that we've seen in benefits, in payment, in delivery, in training for mental health has made it really, really, really hard when we start talking about how we can create a truly integrated healthcare system. So to answer your question, we're a foundation that's committed to mental health, but we are all about health and health care and try and infuse mental health within the context and the overall discussion and agenda that's happening nationally around health. Dr. Miller, you know, of course, that we have a federal parity law concerning mental health and physical health. And here in California, we have a parity law that's even stricter than the national one. Mm -hmm. And yet, neither of them are really being adhered to. One of the pieces in that puzzle is that here in California, again, we have what we call mental health carve-outs, whereas you may be insured by insurer X, but when it comes to your mental health benefits, they kind of shop that out to company Y. This is a big problem here in California. You have anything to say about it? Oh my goodness. Uh, you just tossed me the biggest softball ever. Thank you for that, Ben. That's great. Uh, unfortunately, and I think you spoke to this really nicely, we've got 10 years of experience around parity under our belt. And some of the latest research that we've seen around mental health parity has shown that it really, frankly, hasn't done as much as we wished it could to provide an increased access for mental health services. Yeah, it's right, it's wrong, it's fixed some things that were broken, but at the end of the day, we still have so much work to do. And one of those areas that we have a lot of work to do in is what you called out specifically, and how our states choose to contract for mental health services. Whether you call it carve out or carve in or whatever the carving you wanna do, essentially every time we try and treat mental health as this distinct, separate entity within the larger construct or policy for health, it makes it really hard for people to get access to care. 
And frankly, what we need to do, and I think this is the charge that your listeners, as well as each of us on, the, on this talk show right now, are, are discussing and really trying to move towards, is doing what's right for people. Anything that stands in the way that's an impediment or a barrier for people getting access to care is probably not a good policy or a good program. Anything that stands in the way of people being able to afford that care is not anything that I think we on this call want to advocate for. So that begs the question, what do we do with this information knowing that it's not working? And I think it comes back to us and to lead this revolution that we really do need to have more comprehensive, transformative systems type of solutions to healthcare. I agree with everything that you just said, even the things that I don't understand, because you said it so confidently. <laughs> but the, the question that I have to, to make this really, really simple, mm -hmm. in some cases, people who are ready, willing, and able to get help, meaning they, they mm -hmm. want to be med compliant, and I'm making the air quotes, they will, they will follow their doctor's orders, they, they don't need the police called, they are, they are willing to drive themselves to the doctors and check themselves in, and they have health insurance that they have worked for and earned because they have the right job, there are no beds. There are just mm. simply no beds. How mm. do you work in that kind of environment? I, I mean, Great. people like me just want to give up because we're like, hey, look, this always seems to fall on our shoulders that we're just mm. lazy or we're out of our mind. But the reality is, is there's no beds. You're, you're pointing out one of the cruelest ironies that exists in healthcare, which is that the more needs that you have, let's just put it simple terms here, the more diagnoses you have or the more complexity you have as an individual, the harder you have to work to get the care that you need in healthcare, the system. And that's cruel. It's cruel, unusual. Some may say it's a immoral, unethical, whatever the words are you want to use. It means that the folks that actually need care the most have to work hardest to get that care, wherever it might be. And let's give some examples here. Use beds. Uh, beds are one, one very clear example that we can use, but beds are really downstream when there's a crisis. Let's talk about upstream. Let's talk about ways that we can prevent people from going downstream for those acute crises and look and are seeking out the bed. Let's talk into something like primary care. And I'm sure you all have discussed this on the show previously, but primary care being the largest platform of healthcare delivery is typically where more people present and are identified for mental health needs than anywhere else. And so what happens if you're a person who shows up and you're talking to your primary care doc and you're like, you know, Something's just not right. They give you some type of screening tool, and then you find out, you know, there is something not right. I need to figure out a way to address this depression, okay? Well, then what happens next? Well, according to the research, and I think this is something that many of your listeners have probably seen or experienced, two-thirds of primary care docs indicate they don't know how to get access to mental health services, or they can't get access to mental health services for their patients, which means that the person that is seeking care and is willing to actually receive that care may not have a place to go. And so they have to work harder, to your point, to find those places that they can actually get the care. They have to search around, they have to call, they have to show up in places two weeks later, they have to take off for work, they've got to figure out a way to you know, get their kids looked after. All these things they have to do because of that unbelievably you know, problematic word that we talked about at the top of the show, which is fragmentation. You know, fragmentation is what hurts people from getting timely access to mental health services it also hurts us as a total society to try and actually create a system that improves outcomes and decreases costs in a pretty effective way. One of the things that's often discussed in the mental health community is the solution is forced treatment. 
if we round up all the people with mental illness and force them into treatment, they'll be better, which of course sort of flies in the face of what you were just talking about, which is there's not enough treatment available for those who want it. Do you see that as a solution? Why or why not? Well, anytime in healthcare or just in health in general, you talk about forcing someone to do something, it really goes against how we operate as individuals. I mean, we don't need to get all theoretical here on the show, but I think you guys know this. If you start talking to someone about making a change, it's never as simple as just giving them the information that doing something is going to improve their health and they're all of a sudden going to make this change. We actually have to be a lot more nuanced here in how we think about it. But, you know, the bottom line is that we're actually not doing this well no matter what. And so even if there were thousands of services just available tomorrow, if you look at the trajectory of individuals in this country that have died prematurely from drug, alcohol, or suicide the last 10 years, and you project those numbers forward, we're actually going to see a 60 to 100% increase in deaths due to folks that actually aren't getting treatment. And so we can't force people to do anything, but what we can do is we can start to pay attention to their needs earlier, more often. And it's not something as complex as a diagnosis. It actually might be something as simple as like on the show today, when you get done with the show, you turn to the people that you're closest to, you go to the dinner table and you just say, hey, Gabe, how you doing? Or hey, Ben, you know, I noticed that you've been a little bit down lately. What's going on? Sometimes those are the most powerful interventions that we can do in a society. And if we're truly committed to changing the culture around health and mental health in this country, I think we really need to go back and, and revisit what it is that we're actually trying to do here. That is ultimately be relational and connect to people and ask them, you know, how are you doing? I agree completely with what you said. Prevention and early intervention are key to so many things. One of the things that I've never understood, and this is not really on point, but I just felt like ranting for a moment, is mm -hmm. that health insurance in general isn't like dental insurance. You know, my dental insurance, I go in for a cleaning, you know, preventative mm -hmm. care, it's 100% covered. Why isn't preventative care covered for other health issues, including mental health? Oh, man, this is a great question. And you're actually going to bring out the cynic in me for just a little bit. And it actually goes back to the entire basic premise of healthcare in the United States, which is that, unfortunately, and I don't mean to tell you that Santa Claus doesn't exist here, because I think you guys already know this, but um, healthcare is founded on the principles around business and financing. It's all about what we call, quote unquote, the wealthcare system. It's about making money. And unfortunately, I think that that's a sad thing. It's a very cynical thing to say. But if you look at the way that we've created healthcare in the United States, it's very much built on the back of a business enterprise. It's not about taking care of health sometimes. It's not really even about preventing diseases. It's about this medical industrial complex that really is out there to make a dollar. Now, there are well-intended and intentioned folks out there that do want to help. There's a lot of individuals that exist that are truly about serving the community, the poor and the underserved. And there's a lot of not-for-profit health systems that are doing amazingly innovative and, and well worth it work. But at the end of the day, you have to go back to some of the basic principles around healthcare. And if you all haven't read or haven't even looked at uh, Paul Starr's seminal work, The Social Transformation of American Medicine, I encourage you to, because Dr. Starr walks us through, kind of from a sociological perspective, how we got to where we are in healthcare. And, and I'll go ahead and tell you the end here based on the first sentence of his book, which is, quote, the dream of reason did not take power into account. End quote. And so if you think about the way that the United States healthcare system is structured, it's all about, all about hierarchy and power. 
And so that means that things like health insurance have become a business game in some ways. And those of us that are trying to gain access to care or trying to afford care, because we know that folks that have medical needs oftentimes do go bankrupt because they can't afford the care that they actually need. Um, that is a fundamental problem. And we are the only country in the world that has these type of issues, which I'm sure you guys have talked about on another show. Well, the part about that that just doesn't ring true in my head is that I get that the, that the insurance companies want to make money and, and save money, which is why paying for a dental cleaning is a good thing because it's cheaper than paying for, you know, root canals and what have you. Mm -hmm. But why isn't that same attitude held by other types of insurance? You know, it's cheaper yeah. to preventative care. I mean, that's why we do cancer screenings, right? Not because mm -hmm. they're actually concerned about our health, but because they don't want to have to pay for cancer treatment, right? So wh where's the breakdown? Great question. And so you're, you're actually, I'm going to do two things at once here. First of all, I'm going to kind of point out a fallacy here in this discussion, which is that it's really, really, really hard to apply logic and reason to a lot of decisions <laughs> that are made in healthcare. That's and fair. so as long as you get that, then everything I'm about to say moving forward will probably make more sense. The reason is that in prevention, when we think about how can we proactively prevent people from get, you know, gaining X diagnosis or you know, showing up in X setting, sometimes the paying for prevention upfront costs more. And you don't want to pay for things upfront that cost more when you're trying to make a buck downstream. And so you have to get really creative in your business modeling around how you're actually going to be able to take care of people when they're sick, but also bring in dollars for the people that aren't sick so you can cover the cost of the people that are sick. If we were using kind of PowerPoint right now, you know, I would show you some beautiful graph that talked about, you know, the traditional structure of health insurance and how health insurance companies do have to cover individuals that ultimately are going to be sicker. But the only way to do that is to figure out a way to get folks that are, you know, healthy to pay into the big pot of money too. It's a traditional 101 of health insurance. And so your question around, well, why don't we just pay for things that are around prevention? Well, honestly, guys, I mean, I hate to say it, but at the end of the day, the prevention stuff isn't always going to make the money for them. It's not going to bring in the revenue for them, but it might prevent them from spending dollars down the road, but that's not the way that they're looking at these issues. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. Secure, convenient, and affordable online counseling. All counselors are licensed, accredited professionals. Anything you share is confidential. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist whenever you feel it's needed. A month of online therapy often costs less than a single traditional face-to-face -face session. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash psych central and experience seven days of free therapy to see if online counseling is right for you. Betterhelp.com forward slash psych central. Let's talk about solutions for a moment. I, I think we've done a good job of establishing everything that's wrong. And I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find yeah. somebody. No, I think we've just hit the tip of the iceberg on everything. <laughs> yeah, right. But sincerely, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody in the mental health system or anybody that's ever been sick and needed large amounts of medical care that would disagree with the statement that our healthcare system is, is messed up. So, mm -hmm. If you were the ruler of the universe, I mean, literally, you just snap your fingers and change anything that you wanted, what would it be? You're now in charge, Dr. Miller. Fix it. What would you do? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'll give you three off the top of my head here. That's a great question. Number one, I think that we have to have some type of universal coverage so that every individual in the United States has access to healthcare services. 
whether that's because they have health insurance that covers them, or we've just created a system that allows for anybody, anywhere, anyhow, to show up and actually get care. That would be number one. We have too many people in the, in the country that are not seeking care because they can't afford it. That's just, that's just cruel. Number two, I would fundamentally rethink our construct of health. I would make it not about kind of mental and physical archetypes, you know, things that we've known for a long time are, aren't discrete but are actually separate. I would make it about health, where mental health, substance use, all the things you guys are so passionate talking about are just naturally infused within the construct of health. So then when we talk about it, yeah, of course, you know, depression's just like diabetes, just like anxiety, just like hypertension. It's the same thing. And we don't have that culture. And I think that I would, if I could snap my fingers, that would be the second thing I would do. And then the third thing I would do is I would actually create a system for healthcare. One of the biggest misnomers that we have out there is that there's a true system of care, and that's just untrue. We don't have that system of care out there. And I think for reasons we've already discussed, but I would create that true system of care where clinicians coordinate, they communicate, they collaborate, they do all the things that we would expect they would do to be a part of good care, but the patient wasn't lost somehow in the middle of this whirlwind trying to figure out who to go to next. But the system made sense. You could naturally predict what was going to happen next based on where you entered and, and what they said to you instead of leaving people to their own devices and just kind of constantly wander around looking at, you know, where they need to go next. I want to comment on one of the things that you said specifically, which sure. is completely changing our view of what health is, because we have a tendency to look at good health or well-being, if you might want to use that word. We mm -hmm. tend to look at it as just simply being the absence of illness, but that's mm -hmm. not accurate at all, because that's not really being healthy. That's just not being sick. Good health well is beyond that. It's, it's, it's more than that. Well, we define health as the foundation for achievement. I mean, that pure and simple period. I mean, that's it. Foundation for achievement. And why do we do that? Well, because if you want to do something in your life, if you want to achieve it, you have to have good health. We know that the determinants of health go far beyond just the absence of presence of disease and include things like, you know, your transportation or where you live. Or like you've seen so many times now in clinics, the most important question that someone could ask you is, where do you live? When those determinants really ring true, we will begin to see a shift in the culture of health. And we will make it so much less about disease and so much less about delivery and make it so much more about community and individual and who we are and what we need to be successful. And I'll give you one final example here, just clinically. I mean, let's just say you show up to a clinic and you're talking to some provider and they say, you know what, Ben, you need to quit smoking, you need to lose weight, you need to stop drinking, you need to do all these other things. But the most important thing to you that all you're really thinking about is how on earth you're going to be able to pay for your life or how on earth you're going to be able to figure out a way to get your kids some food next week at school. When those things are more pressing, they take on a level of precedence within your own life and you're going to fight to do everything you can to address those issues. That's the health that I'm talking about. How do we create some type of structure across our communities where we're talking just as much about transportation and housing as we are about, you know, the latest, greatest scientific evidence to support a new mental health treatment. Honestly, everything that you say sounds very, very complicated. I mean, it seems like we need very large social movements. We need to move en masse. Some of the things that you talked about, I don't necessarily mm -hmm. disagree with, but like, you know, having universal health care, these are all massive, massive changes. 
what can somebody on an individual basis do? I mean, what could one of our listeners do within two hours of listening to this show to make a change in our society or help make a change in our society? Beautiful question. So number one, recognize what are the problems that we're currently facing in a society to address mental health more comprehensively. I think we've talked about those today on the show. The most important thing that they can do in recognition to the problems is they can become involved. This is one of the things I'm constantly surprised by throughout our communities, and I get to spend a lot of time on airplanes kind of going around and talking to folks, and I'll tell you, I'm constantly surprised at the number of individuals that recognize the problem but don't really show up at the meetings, don't show up at the town halls, don't show up at the county commission, don't show up at the school board, and bring these things to bear. What would happen if every one of us who recognized the problems that we each face in healthcare showed up at a meeting and said something? I have to tell you, you know, from my own personal experience, when you start to speak, you know, loudly together in unison as a group, things change. So you're right. There is a lot of complexity here, but frankly, I'm not content just to wait for things to naturally evolve because they will. I'm really more interested in leading this quiet revolution driven by the folks that are listening to your podcast that get together with other individuals in their community and say, you know what, it is simply unfair that we are treated this way. Let's get together and let's go down and let's meet with our representatives. Let's get together and let's go down and let's meet with our local community mental health center leadership. Let's get together and go down and meet with the school board, whoever it might be, and let's tell them our vision for what needs to happen around mental health in our community. That, my friends, I think is really one of the most important actions that we can all take is to get together and to begin to demand for something more. Now, we could talk about workarounds, and I can give you a thousand different things that we could do tomorrow to improve on what we currently have in healthcare. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think this comes back to us as individuals and us coming together in some type of you know, organized fashion. You called it a social movement. I think social movements are afoot right now with mental health anyway. And I actually think that we're watching people at a rapid rate being able, you know, they're coming forward and telling their own mental health story. Let's take advantage of this movement. Let's take advantage of that. But most importantly, let's demand for something more in alignment with this ultimate vision of comprehensive health that we want to create. So you talk about approaching our our legislators. To many people, that is an extremely intimidating thing. What suggestions can you make to people on how to approach them, what to say to them, instead of just your, your standard form letters that you might see online? Yeah, great. So you all know this, but it's the stories that matter. You know, data definitely can win hearts and minds, but at the end of the day, it's the stories that really bring about change in policy. We know this. But the most potent combo is actually the stories with the data. So I would encourage individuals that are interested in talking to their legislator, their congressperson, whoever it might be, to recognize, first of all, that these are people too. You know, they go home, they've got to go to Target, they've got to go figure out a place to shop, they've got to go do this, that, and the other. And so let's see them as normal people. Let's also see them as people that need to be made aware of the stories that may not know the impact that a particular policy decision within the state of wherever has impacted on those folks on the ground. Let's bring that to their attention and not just point out the problems, but also as Gabe, you did just so nicely just a minute ago, point out that there actually are reasonable solutions that we could pursue. So don't just go in with, you know, a a problem that you want to complain about. Go in with a potential solution that they could actually pursue themselves. That would be big bucket number one. Number two, and I think this is probably not lost on anybody, but almost every single state has some type of advocacy organization that's fighting for mental health. 
go and look and see what their values are. Go and see what their, their mission is and what they're working on within the legislature for that state. See if you want to get involved, or most importantly, see if there's something that they're fighting for that's in line with your passions. Or if you see them going in a different direction, point out, hey, this is not the direction I would go if I were you know, king or queen for the day. Sometimes when we're dealing with bureaucracies and, and mental health organizations, they're, they're their own sort of bureaucracies just because we agree with them or, or they're fighting for us doesn't mean that they don't have their own internal problems. What do you do when the biggest organizations, you know, in your state or even in the country aren't necessarily aligned with the values that you agree with? And I'm asking very specifically because there's a lot of infighting in the mental health movement. And this Mm -hmm. doesn't serve us because we're not very big. What is something that we should all really be on the same page about? Um, Because, you know, I got to tell you, if I attend one more anti-stigma or (laughs) anti-drug rally, I, I might fall over because I just, I, it really feels a lot like preaching to the choir, but, you know, an anti-stigma rally or an anti-drug rally is a lot more exciting than creating an infograph on how people are dying. That's right. We, we love to have the rallies. We love to bring out the pom-poms and, you know, jump up and down and say, yay, mental health. And I think that there is definitely a place for that to celebrate and to bring forward, you know, why we're all fighting for this, something a little bit bigger and better. But most importantly, and I think that this is probably, you know, the most important takeaway I can tell you right now, is that even how we define stigma and things like that, I mean, we think about difference plus deviance. That's a typical, you know, bumper sticker for how you define stigma, you know, the in and out crowd and then how they treat the out crowd, how that in crowd treats the out crowd. It's a really basic premise here. But we actually could begin to look at some of the politics that are inherent within our mental health organizations. And we might be able to say there's nothing about stigma about stigma reduction. This is about really fighting for something that they, as an individual organization, want for themselves. There might be an underlying motive that they're pursuing this for some, you know, reason. I have no idea. But we, as a community, and this is this is uh, this is hard to say, but I think it's true. We're bigger than that. We, as a community, when we get together, we're bigger than any organization. The organizations represent a small slice of the, you know, the total public. They might represent just the people that are paying dues to be a part of that organization. And that's all well and good. And let's let them have that. And let's let them have the celebrations. But we as a community, if there's something that we actually wanted, if we got together and organized ourselves, it is going to be bigger and better than anything any particular organization is going to move forward with. Now, I would like to believe that the politics could be set aside in service to the community. But I think, as you already alluded to, um, there is a lot of infighting right now. And there's a lot of um, folks that are really looking at maintaining status quo because it benefits their bottom line. I think the days of that being an accepted practice are coming quickly to an end. That we are watching things unfold at a rapid rate in our society where our communities, you and I, everybody on this call that's listening to this podcast, they're not going to sit idly by and just wait on someone else to change or fix what's broken. Look at what's happening in Florida with the Parkland kids and what they're doing for around gun violence. Okay, that has to happen around mental health too. What would happen if every single one of us joined hands and rallied around our state capitol and said, you know, we're not leaving here until we as a state or as a community do something different around mental health. That's not driven by an organization per se. That's driven by us and what we think is right for our community. I think that was perfectly said. And I cannot even think of any kind of follow-up question that would do it justice. So I think this is a good spot to end.
Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thank you both. Thanks for the work you do to get the message out there to the community. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Miller. How can people find you on the website? What's the information for people to, can people join the movement? Uh, Speak a little bit about how to find you and work with you. Yeah, absolutely. So we are looking to increase the number of folks that are joining the movement. You can go to our website, wellbeingtrust.org. As I said, we're a brand new organization. And so we are looking for ways to create that network of partners that are ultimately can you know, move this uh, in a new direction. So that's number one. Number two, and I really would highlight this for some of the folks that are out there interested in looking at solutions. We did a report called Pain in the Nation, and it's on paininthenation.org. And it looked at why people are dying prematurely due to drug, alcohol, and suicide. Go to that website, take a look at some of those data, but most importantly, to the point that's been brought up repeatedly today, look at some of the evidence-based practices and promises that we've got on there that I think are really, truly useful for um, a lot of folks in the community. Again, thank you so much. All right, everyone, thanks for tuning in. And remember, you can get one week of free, convenient, affordable, private online counseling anytime, anywhere by visiting betterhelp.com slash psychcentral. Dr. Miller, thank you for being on the show and we will see everybody next week. Thank you for listening to the Psych Central Show. Please rate, review and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. We encourage you to share our show on social media and with friends and family. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show. Psychcentral.com is the internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. Psych Central is overseen by Dr. John Grohall, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is an award-winning writer and speaker who travels nationally. You can find more information on Gabe at gabehoward.com. Our co-host, Vincent M. Wales, is a trained suicide prevention crisis counselor and author of several award-winning speculative fiction novels. You can learn more about Vincent at vincentmwales.com. If you have feedback about the show, please email talkback at psychcentral.com. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.